0: Wives, <laughs> in the same way, be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of your wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your life, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit with his gracious work in God's sight. For this is the way, the holy woman, of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husband, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him you are for God if you do what is right and do not give way to you. in the same way, do you consider as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner and as heirs, with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder
1: your prayers. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. Ms. Petty, you got to read that because you're a fine example of that passage. So, uh, no, that's an amen. You may be seated. Oops. You know, this whole uh, past three, four weeks of submission flows out of this one verse. Let's turn back to First uh, Peter chapter two, verse eleven. It comes out of this passage of scripture says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And so what Peter is doing is he's carrying on this burden of submission. But the submission isn't uh, uh, truly just about being submissive. The submissiveness that we are to show are to the unbelievers, so that in our submission, we will have such a lifestyle that unbelievers will begin to question what's different about us, and as the passage just said, that are being submissive to uh, what we've covered over the last few weeks, that the unbeliever, or as the passage says, the Gentile, will begin to question what's different about us. It's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, 13, and 14, that you're the salt and light of the world. And so one of the ways that we get to be the salt and light of the world is through our submission. And so we, we've seen this idea that we are to be submissive in four places. We'll look at the last place next week. But the first place that we are to submit is in uh, society, <clears throat> verses th- 13 through 17, right? He told us in verse 13 through 17, that we are to be submissive in the workplace. That, that God has placed us in our workplace, and therefore we are to be submissive under our bosses, under that authority. And then he went on and we looked at um, in society as a whole, the government uh, w- was in chapter 2, 13, 14. Then the workplaces, 18 through 25. Now, in this passage of scripture, he's telling us what it looks like to be submissive in the family. We can come to this passage of Scripture and think that uh, it's heavy on the lady because there's six verses to one verse. But what Peter is saying is it's not just the wife that's to be submissive. See, wives, your submission's going to flow out of your husband's conduct. And so, husbands, you prepare your wife to be submissive. We'll get that in the text. And we can come to this passage and the whole passage is hinges on those two words, which has been taken way out of context and has been distorted in our society, in society at a whole, the weaker vessel. You see, the, that doesn't mean they're a weaker person. That doesn't mean they're less than the, the man. That doesn't mean uh, that the, the husband's over the wife and because he's more blank. What that means is, just from a f- pure physical standpoint, the wife is a weaker vessel. And so it's our job as the husbands to what? Look over the weaker vessel. And my fear is that so often what's happened in our society is that we've taken the weaker vessel and um, it, it, it gave me great disturbance yesterday watching the news. Half a million women marched on Uh, Washington yesterday. Now, I believe in women's rights. I, I believe that we men have to fight for women's rights, but our society has taken these two words and has totally construed them for what God never intended them to be. And so, it's our responsibility, church, and it's our responsibility, men first and foremost, to care for the weaker vessel and to prop the weaker vessel up our wives so that they can succeed. And so this morning, I want to look at these two things. Two things I want to look at. First, we'll go verse by verse through the text. We're going to look at the wife's responsibility in submission. And then, men, we will look at our role, the husband's responsibility in submission. And so we'll look at verses 1 through 6 first. Two things uh, we'll look at, or well, three things we'll look at, and you're the wife, your responsibility. So ladies, this... Part of the passage is directed to you. And then men, I'm coming home and I'm going to lay the heavy on us with one verse. Because I believe that one verse, verse 7, if we don't live out verse 7, the wives will never be able to live out verses 1 through 6. And so, husbands, the responsibility in this text lies on us. Though Peter has spent the majority of the time in this text about this passage, I promise you this, the weight of the passage is in verse 7. And so I'm going to go hard at the end. And I'm going to step on toes and um, just know that now. So if you don't want your toes to be stepped on, begin to curl them up in your shoes. But ladies, I'll address you first because that's how uh, Peter addresses. He says this. Let me read verses 1-6 through again. And then dive into the things that Peter says to you. says, likewise, wives, to be subject to your own husbands. Underline own husbands. It's a key in this whole passage. So that even if some do not obey the Word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, when they who the husband sees your, the wife's respect and pure conduct. Do not let your adornment be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, verse 4, but let your adornment be hidden, the hidden person of the heart, with imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which <clears throat> in God's sight is a precious, is very precious. For this is how the holy women of hope in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. And so the first thing we see is in verse 1 and 2. The first thing is this. Wives, your responsibility is to do this, is to be submissive and faithful. See, this passage of Scripture is all about one thing. This passage is about the believing wife serving her unbelieving husband. And so what happened in that day and age, think about it, in their society, when a woman would come to know Christ and her husband did not come to know Christ, what that meant in the home and what that meant outside the home. What what was taking place is if a woman came to know Christ, then the husband looked like they had a, a defiant wife. Because the husband was to always lead to wife, and if all of a sudden the husband is leading in this direction, the wife, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, comes to know Christ Jesus, she's going to look like she's in total defiance of the husband. And so what Peter is saying, through the inspiration of God, is to say to the woman who has come to know Christ, hey, in your submission and your faithfulness, it's to win your unbelieving husband over. So that's what the text is primarily speaking of. But how do we in the church flip that and say, how does that speak to us? I believe it's this way. I believe it is through our submissive behavior and our faithful behavior. I think it's important to understand what submission means. We've been talking each week about submission. Submission simply means to come under rank. So if you think of that in a military setting, the the general of the army had people that were submitted to him. That did not mean that that general was superior over all of his soldiers. It wasn't that that general had more than the soldiers. He was just placed in a position that gave him more authority. That's true in the home. It's not because the wife doesn't have authority all that the husband have. It's God's design that the the man would have authority in his home and to lead that family in submission. And I'm going to get to it in this passage. Husbands, you must first be submissive and faithful. So though it's talking about the wife here, the wife's responsibility is to be submissive and faithful. Men, it applies to you and to me am I submissive and faithful to God the Father? Because I cannot leave my family if I'm not in my own submission. And if I cannot be in submission to God, then the people that God has placed under me are never going to fall into submission because of that. And so wives, it is your responsibility to remain submissive and faithful. And here's the important part. I said to underline this in your Bible, to your own husbands, that doesn't say to be submissive and faithful to every man. It says to your own husband. Peter uses that word because that word has so much about intimacy. And In that word, the intimate thing that God is talking about, is this intimate relationship that God is using to show us ultimately what it looks like for us, the church, to be submissive to Him as His bride. And so if you think about the picture, He's given us the picture of marriage to show us the picture of His marriage to His people. And God is saying to us as His people, are we submissive and faithful to Him? And if we are, then ladies, you will be submissive and faithful to your husbands. This is God's design. God's design is for you to be submissive and faithful to your husband. But... Husbands, I'm going to get to us at the end. It's our design to be faithful and submissive to Him. And then he goes on to say it this way. Be subject to your own husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the Word. Now that word doesn't mean the Gospel. That word just simply means the truth. What is happening. Like unbelieving people are not going to believe the truth of God. And so what Peter is saying to the wife is, even though they may not believe, you live your life in such a way that's going to be very attracted to them. Here's what uh, one writer says. Peter's point here is that the wife, the wife's godly behavior, is the most valuable testimony to open the husband's heart to the gospel. I believe that's true both unbeliever and believer. He will need to hear, he, the husband, will need to hear the words of salvation, perhaps from her. But it will be as he, the husband, is able to observe her submission and as a faithful wife that she truly condemns the gospel to him, commends the gospel to him. How a believer lives in that most intimate relationship helps make the grace of Christ believable. Did you catch that last line? How a believer lives in that most intimate relationship. There's no other relationship that God has given to us that's more intimate than the marriage relationship. Not even to your kids. There's things about your wife and your husband that your kids do not know and ought not to know. And it's in that most intimate relationship that helps make the grace of Christ believable and so wives are you living out the gospel without word so that it's believable to your husband the next point is this that you must be modest we can get caught up in our tradition has gotten us caught up in the external modesty i'm not going to say this morning that modesty externally isn't important but you can have the most modest external features and have no internal modesty. We've seen that historically. The church has gotten it right externally, but internally it's dying. And that's what Peter is saying to the wife. You see back in their culture, the Greco-Roman culture, these women were devoted to superficial adornment wearing cosmetics and wearing costumes and wearing jewelry and putting their hair up and, and to, to gain attraction for themselves so that they would get all the attention. And what Peter is saying to us, it's not about the external, it's about the internal. You, you see that in the verse. He says not of imperishable things internally, uh, of externally things, but internally. Right? So... Th- uh, verse 12 but let your adornment be what a hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit and so what does it mean for us to be and for you wives to be gentle and quiet here's what one writer says the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit will last for eternity in contrast to the fleeting, the, the fleeting beauty of jewelry and clothing Your clothing, your things you put in your hair, your gold, will all be ruined and gone. But there is one thing that will last for all of eternity. It's your internal beauty. It's your internal gentleness. It's your internal quietness. The word gentle means this. He says to you, to you wives, do you live a gentle and quiet life in front of your husband? The word gentle means to be humble or to be meek it means to not resist on one's own right, not to be pushy not to be selfish not to be demanding on its own way it's what jesus told us in uh, the sermon on the mount that that to be the meek will inherit the kingdom of god and so that word meek simply means this it means a great deal of power under control i use this illustration when i went through the sermon on the mount But the the meekest creature on all the planet is the horse. But they're also the most powerful creature, if you will, on the planet. But it takes you to to break the horse or make the horse meek to get it to go the way you want it to go. And that's what Peter is saying to us and to you wives. Live a meekful life and live a gentle life. The word gentle or quiet means this to be still or or tranquil. I don't know if you've ever been around a non-quiet wife. Uh, They're not very attractive. Uh, I see them all day, every day in my private practice. I'll say this off the record, but it's on the record because it's going to go on uh, the internet. Most of the times, I just want to tell the lady to shut up. I know I can't say that to her, but I just want to say, if you would just be quiet for a moment, You can hear your husband's heart. But they're doing too much talking. They're not living a tranquil life. But I believe they're not living a tranquil life, a peaceful life, a gentle life, a quiet life, because they're caught up in anxiety of what Peter says in the part of the passage where he says to the wife not to be frightened by submitting to your own husbands. Verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not what? Let fear anything that is frightening. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that passage. Don't fear anything that's frightening. Well, aren't things that are frightening fearful? So what is Peter saying to us? I believe what Peter is telling us in those few words is this, that there's going to be a lot of things that are frightening and terrifying. If you place your trust and hope in your husband and your husband alone. If all you're doing, wives, is placing all of your hope and all of your trust and all of your faith and all of your security into your husband, it's going to be terrifying because you know, he knows, they can't live up to what, who God is. Our, all of our hope has to be centered in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus ought not to be terrifying and frightening i ought to be a fretful person because i'm not christ jesus and then he goes back we'll go back to the passage he says to the wife to continue on the calling him lord is not that you it's this continual submission to the husband if you think of who Peter uses in this text the example was Sarah and Abraham when it came to marriage Abraham was a foolish man do you realize that he sold out his wife he tossed his wife under the bus two times by calling him his sister well that's weird enough as it is but you remember the two stories. He walked into uh, this king and he knew that the king would be attracted to Sarah. Instead of standing up for Sarah and standing in the place of Sarah, he threw Sarah under the bus. Well, that's my sister. And he threw her under the bus for his own sake. Remember, it says in the text that he thought he was going to die if they found out he was, she was his wife. So he throws her under the bus to save himself. And then he didn't learn from that mistake. He did it again Again, And then his sons did it too. And yet, the example that Peter uses is Abraham and Sarah. I believe this to be true because the way Abraham went on to live out his life from there. He was a godly man that lived under submission to a holy God for the rest of his life. And so for us, This morning, for you ladies, for you wives, are you, the question for you this morning is threefold. Are you living a submissive, faithful, modest life in front of your husband? All right, ladies, you can either turn your ears off or turn them on and use it for ammunition. It's up to you. Fellas, I'm going after us this morning. Because this all hinges on this next verse. Please underline in your Bible, however it is in your translation, the word likewise or in the same way. So Peter comes out of the gates when he addresses the husband and says to the husband, hey, the same way the wife is to submit, you husbands are to do it likewise, the same way. Well, what are we to do the same way? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The first thing, husbands, that we must do, do we live lives of consideration? That's what the word understand means. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way way. The word live means to dwell with, to dwell together. It it refers back to the intimacy that we cherish with our wives. Believing husbands, we must continually and constantly flourish and nourish our wives and the bond of intimacy. Are we doing that? Do we live with that consideration? Do we consider our wives that they are in an intimate relationship with us, and they are heirs not just for us, but with us. My question for me, my question for you, husband, is this. Do you truly understand your wife and who she is? Do you know her? You see, that's what he says in this text. Understand who you live with. This word understand speaks of the sensitivity, the consideration, and the deepest physical, emotional, and spiritual need of your wife. Do you live with that understanding? If you were been asked this morning, if someone came to you this morning and said to you, John, do you know the needs of Bethany this morning? You ought to be able to answer that because you live with consideration. Consideration. Because you know your wife so intimately that you know the needs of her heart. Because when you begin to live out with living with your wives in consideration, then you will prop them up to be submissive to you and to live faithfully with you and to live modestly with you. You see, men, it's our responsibility to take care of the weaker vessel, to cherish the weaker vessel. It's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives as what Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do we live with that consideration, men? Do we live with considering our wives the way Christ loved the church? Do you remember what the text just said? Christ loved the church so much that He gave Himself up for her. We talked about what it looked like for Christ to give Himself up last week. That Christ was the ultimate suffering servant and He suffered for you and for me, the church. That's the consideration Christ lived with you and me. Men, are we living with that consideration towards our wives. The second thing is this. We live with chivalry. I know that's an old word, but it's the idea that we care for our wives as the weaker vessel. Do You think of a chivalrous person, a man of chivalry, the old men of, from the 1800s, how they cared for their wife. They went out of their way for their wives. A gentleman, if you will. My great fear for my daughter is that we're raising up a group of young men that will not care for her. We have a saying in our house, and it goes like this She messes it up all the time, but we're going to drill it in her head. Tennyson, you live with this motto The boy goes down and the girl goes free, meaning that it's the boy's responsibility to do whatever they can to make sure that you are safe, and if you ever date a boy that is not laying his life down to make sure you're safe, you get out of the car, and you call daddy, because I promise you this, Tennyson, I will lay my life down for you, and my prayer is she's seeing that modeled with me and Jenny, and this isn't to toot my own horn, But I try every day, one of the things I do in our family is to open the door for Jenny, just the car door. And I'm telling Tennyson, don't you ever get into a car if the boy doesn't open the door for you. That will speak volumes to me. If I'm going to, I promise you this, I have no shotgun, but I'm going to buy one before Tennyson gets to be 16. I'm not going to use it, so I'm going to go to Larry's and he's going to teach me how. But I'm going to stand in my front door with the shotgun behind the door so homeboy doesn't see it. But I'm going to watch very carefully. If he's walking to the car and he doesn't open the car door for you, I promise, I'm going to hopefully put the shotgun down, but I'm going to walk outside and tell the young man, you don't have the privilege and the honor to take her out tonight. Because if you don't have the honor and privilege of opening the door for her, I don't know what on God's green earth you're going to do to her when you leave this parking lot. So tonight, you do not have my permission to take her out. Now, Tennessee's going to hate my guts for it. I get that. And I hope one day she's going to find at that, that I've loved her well. But I want her to be with a man that will care for her heart because she is the weaker vessel. And I don't mean weaker because of anything, but just the way God designed her. And I pray, my prayer this week is that she's seeing me model that with Jenny. And my prayer is that Cedar is seeing me model that out with her mom, his mom, and model that out with his big sister. So that when Cedar is 16 and he goes to someone's house to pick up a date that he's opening a car door, it's a simple thing, but it will have huge implications for his life. And so do we men live with chivalry, knowing that God has created the woman in a different way. That is why God in the garden said to Adam, you are to provide for your family. We are the provider's men. That doesn't just mean food. That doesn't just mean money. That means we provide everything for our wives and for our children. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. Are we doing that for our wives, the weaker vessel? And the last one is this. The last part of seven. Since they are your heirs with you, fellow heirs, that word means companionship do you men live with your wife as one of your closest friends is she truly your companion is your wife your companion it's the most intimate relationship god has given to us it's the greatest gift god has given us it's the sweetest blessing that god has given to us a marriage Do we treasure that as our deepest relationship on the planet? I say all this in closing because of this last phrase. He's saying for us, you wives, us husbands, to live in submission to one another and to God. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. That, that line is talking primarily about an unbelieving wife and a believing husband, how they live out in that context. So that a, a believing husband is praying for his unbelieving wife and a believing hus- wife is praying for her unbelieving husband that they will come to know Christ through salvation. But that's not only what the text is talking about. That's primarily what it's talking about. But what that text is talking about is are we living in obedience to this text in submitting our lives to the God of the universe. Because if we're not, his promise is clear. Your prayers may and will be hindered. And so for me, as the pastor, as a person, as a believer, I've got to ask myself this question. Are my prayers not being answered today because of how I'm living out in my relationship with Jenny and with God? And husband, you must ask yourself that same question. And wives, you must ask yourself that question. Are our prayers not being answered because of our lack of submission this morning? You see, that obedience pleases God and provides the testimony to honor Christ Jesus before a a lost and dying world. It all hinges on our relationship with our spouse. Church, are we living in such a way that's attractive, to unbelievers, it starts with our homes, men. It starts with you, and women. It follows you through submission. But men, we must submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ first and foremost, to honor Him, to obey Him, and to serve Him, so we can serve our families in the same way. Let us pray. God, I pray as a husband, a dad a friend, but most importantly, a follower of yours, that I will live my life in submission to you. And therefore, God, when I live my life in submission to you, I will consider Jenny. I will honor her. I will cherish her. And I will live in deep companionship with her. Often, God, I, I, I fail God in those ways. And I cry out before you and before these people for forgiveness and also for courage and strength to continue to live out my daily walk with you in front of her and with her. God, I pray for us as husbands in this room that this morning we will examine our lives and ask ourselves those questions over and over as we leave here today. God, it's an honor and a privilege to be a husband. We must carry that with a great deal of responsibility, God. Not because we're better than our wives. Not because we're more spiritual than our wives. Not because we're more dominant than our wives, God. But because for whatever reason, You chose us as men and gave us the call to lead our wives. I pray we would do that with all of our heart and mind and soul today, God. And God, I pray for the wives in here. I pray that they will live in submission and faithfulness and modesty, first before you and with you and then to their husbands. God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as families. I pray for us as marriages, God, that we would leave here today and we would be the salt and light to this dying world, God, that a dying world would see what a healthy marriage looks like. Because marriage, God, is the thing that you gave us that represents your love and your relationship with us. It's the only thing, God. You call us, the church, your bride. Therefore, God, we are the weaker vessel. We, the church, are the weaker vessel. And oh, Jesus, we need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. And we know you're faithful and true. And so God, I pray because of your faithfulness and your truthfulness and your boldness that you would allow us, the weaker vessel, God, to submit and to be faithful to you. You are a great God. You are a good God. And God, I pray that we'd be a testimony for those around us through our submission.
0: Praise in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.